Let me just quickly read uh, the two verses that my sermon will be from, and then we'll turn to God in prayer uh, before I preach for you this morning. Uh, But from Daniel chapter 3 again, verse 17 to 18. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Let's pray. O gracious God, we come humbly before you now as we turn our attention to your word. Lord, we pray that you will turn your blessings and your favor uh, to us, uh, that we would have an enriching, encouraging, and prosperous time in your word this morning. Please, Lord, speak to us, not merely just be, not, may, may, may your people here not just merely be hearing my words and hearing my thoughts and explanations, but Lord, may they be hearing directly from you. Lord, we pray, therefore, that you would use me as your mouthpiece, uh, use me as, as, as an instrument uh, to speak your truth to your people. And Lord, may we truly be encouraged as a result. Please, Lord, may your spirit bless us uh, as, as, we, as, we, as, we, as, we, as we spend time in your word this morning. We ask in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Uh, the hymn writer says, When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. And so straight off the bat, we can almost say that in life, sometimes when it comes to fiery trials, fiery furnaces, sometimes it's actually better to go through it than around it or to avoid it. Sometimes there's a lot more uh, lessons that we learn by going through. There's a lot more... uh, benefit that we might not have actually experienced outside of the fiery trial that we get to experience because we've gone through it. Sometimes there's growth and maturity that we just would never have realized if, we not, if not for the particular flames that we had to go through. But I don't just want us to now go out and look for the next trial and chuck ourselves headlong in and be like, yes, okay, so now it's time to grow. What I want to do is really kind of understand the characteristics of faith that allows you to stand whilst you're in those flames. So it's not just about, there's nothing, there's, not, there's nothing honorable, there's nothing wonderful, there's nothing Christian-like, just by the mere fact that you're going through a particular trial, everyone suffers in this life. Everyone goes through hardship, Christians, Muslims, atheists, the like. But what distinguishes the Christian from everybody else is the faith that they have whilst they're in the trial, whilst they're in that particular fiery furnace. And that's what I want to look at um, today. And obviously, by doing so, we, we, we've, uh, we've, we, we've read through the account of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, otherwise known as the three Hebrew boys, and I'll definitely be, be referring to them as that. They have rather lengthy names. Uh, but we, look at, we know the story of the three Hebrew boys. And what I want us to do is to be able to pull out the lessons that their story, their narrative shows us, and how we can employ some of the same characteristics that they had with their faith into our day-to-day living, and obviously in the 21st century here in the UK. So, plan for, for, for today, my structure, I'll go through the story. Of course, it's a pretty straightforward story, but I'll just go through it, explain the, the, the story in a bit more detail. Um, and then, yes, we'll pull apart the, the characteristics of faith. Namely, faith is God-minded. Faith is Godward. Faith stands on God. And then under that umbrella, so it's almost like a sub-point, faith obeys, faith believes, faith uh, submits. Faith obeys, faith believes or trusts, faith submits. And then encouragement, just to encourage you to continue to standing on and to encourage you to how to actually stand in the flames. But yes, let's turn our attention to the story. 
So like I said, a pretty straightforward story. Nebuchadnezzar has had this light bulb idea. He's going to set up a, he's going to create a, a, an image, a golden image of himself. And essentially, it's, 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 it's a prideful, egotistical thing to do. He's, he set up this image, not necessarily of himself, but it's, it's representing him. His power, his kingdom, his, 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 his present, as it were, um, his presence, as it were, in that time and day. And obviously, it's a, it's a big act of defiance to God. No one is to be worshipped apart from God. It's a sign that no one is going to overthrow my kingdom. So the previous chapters, no need to read it, of course, but you know, he's, been, he's actually been given a vision. Um, and the vision was explained to him that your kingdom is not going to last forever. There's, there's a stone that's coming that's going to knock over your, your, particular, your particular kingdom. And in the very next chapter, he does this. He, he builds this big, big image, this big statue, almost by saying, well, that's your opinion, God. This is how great I am, so to speak. And then once he's built this, he calls for uh, leaders everywhere. The rulers, in verse 2, you see how they, they're listed, the prefects, the, the this and that, everyone, all of the people, the peoples, the languages, the nations, indicating, of course, that there was a big, huge crowd. Everyone has to come, everyone has to gather, and basically worship this particular uh, image that he has set up. King Nebuchadnezzar is not shy about this. He's got the whole band out from the horn, the pipe, the trigon, the bagpipe, a big production, a big band. The moment you hear this music start playing, drop, start time to worship the, 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 the image. And whoever dares to not worship the image that I've set up is going to be cast into the fiery furnace. So everyone knows what they need to do. Some people are just there and they don't even know why they're there. They've just been called. Everyone is here. As soon as this music starts playing, we drop. Some people do it out of fear. Some people do it out of intimidation. It's not me that's about to defy the king. I like living in this country. I've got good welfare, all that kind of stuff. Whatever he tells me to do, I'm doing it. It doesn't really matter what they think. It doesn't really matter what they feel. And everyone, everyone there present bows. Everyone there present once the music starts. They bow and start worshipping this image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Apart from, of course, the three Hebrew boys. They stay standing. In spite of how pressurizing, of course, it might have been. And obviously, put yourself in their situation. They, they knew, everyone there knew, knew the, 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 the consequence of not bowing down to that image. They made it very clear in their, in, their, in their command. You will be thrown into the fiery furnace if you do not bow down. But they've remained standing. And not only are they standing, but they're standing in a strange land. The three Hebrew boys are exiles. They don't belong in Babylon. They're not from Babylon. This is not their country. They're in a strange land, but yet they are standing. They're not looking for the easy way out. They're not looking to try and bed into the neighborhood, try and you know, get some jobs here and there. I mean, they've got, again, in previous chapters, Nebuchadnezzar actually likes these guys. So that's even more pressure. More pressure. They're defying someone that likes them. Nebuchadnezzar actually, has, he's, he, he likes their, they've shown another bit of dis discipline and resolve in a previous chapter. And Nebuchadnezzar likes them, and he's promoted them to high offices. And now, as it were, they're defiant and standing when Nebuchadnezzar has asked them to bow, they're almost defying someone that they've benefit, benefited from. He is their benefactor. They are where they are, in a, in, a, in a noble position because of him. But it doesn't stop them from defying him when they have to. Everyone around them, of course, is bowed down. The pressure of, fear, the, 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 the pressure of the masses, it doesn't matter. They stay standing. The Hebrew boys stay standing. And that's it. It's just the Hebrew boys. It's not the Hebrew boys and their army. It's not the Hebrew boys and their, their, their soldiers. And the Hebrew boys are not even anybody notable themselves. They're not soldiers. They're not skilled in fighting. We stand. Whatever happens, happens. 
And of course, certain um, Chaldeans, they report this to Nebuchadnezzar. They say, listen, the homeboys that you, you took over from, from that, that, that came over here from the exiles, the, the, the immigrants, they're, they're daring to defy you, Nebuchadnezzar. And all of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar loses it. He's angry. He's filled with rage. He asks them to be brought before him. He's livid. And he says, listen, I'm going to give you a second opportunity, okay? I'm going to get the band on. We're going to give you a special number. We're going to play it again. And this time, bow down. Almost let me try and intimidate you face to face. And let's see if you're going to try and, you know, defy me again. And I promise you, if you do defy me, there is no God that's going to be able to deliver you out of my hand. Egotistical. Lunatic. And of course, the three Hebrew boys, they don't respond. Uh, sorry, they, 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 don't, they don't bow, they don't acquiesce. In fact, their response is very short and simple. They say, listen, with regards to this matter, we don't really have anything to say. We don't have any sort of explanation. We don't have any sort of uh, 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 different argument. We don't have any other kind of testimony to give you. What we have to say is very short, simple, and effective. We're not going to bow. Our God, who we serve, does not like our, doesn't want us bowing to your God, doesn't want us bowing to your image. And so we're not going to bow to your image. You do what you have to do, we'll do what we have to do, and we'll see what happens then. But last, last, we are not bowing to your image. And of course, this, if Nebuchadnezzar was angry already, this sends him into, into a different level of anger. He's, he's lost the place, he's lost, the, he's lost the plot, his face has changed before them, and he gets that fiery furnace open, and he tells them to turn it up seven times so that it could be more effective. Some, some people have noted that he was so angry that he's actually made that worse because if he wants it to be more effective, if he wants the three Hebrew boys to suffer, he would have turned it down so that the suffering could be prolonged. If he turns it up, they're in there, they die in an instant. But he's so angry, he's so filled with rage, the pride has taken over, the ego has blinded him. And of course, the, the three Hebrew boys, they're bound by strong men, even with their attire. So they've gone, you know, dressed in their best clad for this kind of festival thing, their hats, their robes, their tunics, all of that thrown in. And of course, as we know the story, Nebuchadnezzar sees the three men go in, but after a while, he sees four men in the fiery furnace. He's thinking, what is going on here? Cue the confusion. What's happening? He calls his Chaldeans and his own people, and he says, why are there three men? Basically, why, not? why are they not dead? Why are they walking around in the fiery furnace? Of course, God has delivered them. God has delivered them. And when we look at this story, you know, it's a story that I've known from childhood, and of course, I'm sure it's a story that many of us have known here, um, you know, if we grew up in the church, etc. But it's always struck me as such a significant display of faith, such a dis significant display of virtue, of character. What assuredness and what bravery. These three young men, probably no older than 20 to 25. What, 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 what kind of bravery, where did that bravery come from to defy the king? to not do what the masses, the hundreds of thousands around them are doing. Where did, where did that come from? They're not, like I said, they're not fighters. They're not skilled in the army. They're probably not even skilled lawyers to kind of argue or reason their case. They just knew one thing. We're not bowing. Where, where does that come from? And where do we get that from as well? And of course, it comes from faith. It comes from faith in their God. It comes from faith in their God. And that's what I want us to do today. I want us to be able to look at the example of the three Hebrew boys and see how we can also use that same faith when we also have to face our fiery trial as well, when we have to go through the fiery furnace. How can we have that same resolve? How can we have that same conviction that it doesn't matter what we feel like we should be doing, we're gonna have our minds checked on what is right and we're gonna keep doing that. We're gonna press on in doing such. 
So let's press on. Let, 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 let's, let's look at that. So like I said, faith, the faith that these three Hebrew boys had was faith in God. It was a Godward faith. And this is kind of like the overarching point where the other characteristics of faith fall under, and I'll, I'll unpack them in a moment. But their faith was, was God-focused. It was God-biased, if I can say it, if I can put it that way. It was God-centric. It only looked to God. Now, I'm, 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 I want to give an example, but please let me preface this by, by the fact that I'm obviously no expert in behavioral science or anything like that. I've got an A-level in psychology, so you know, do that what you will. But when it comes to understanding why people do what they do, uh, why, they, why, why, why they behave in a certain way, why they uh, you know, do certain actions, why they do certain things and don't do certain things, there's been that long, uh, kind of long drawn-out debate between kind of nature and nurture. You know, do people do things because they learnt it, or do people do things because it's just how they naturally are? Is it societal influences that influence them, whether it's media or friends or whatever, or is it something more psychological, how they think, how they process, how they feel? You know, there's always been that kind of tension. There's always been that kind of debate that, you know, what is it? Nature, nurture, nurture, nature, etc., etc. And there's been many tests done with animals, with kids, with put them in certain situations. Are they going to you know, put their hands in the peanut butter? Are they going to lick it? Are they going to do all that kind of stuff? Just really trying to see how people behave, trying to see how and why they do certain things. And that tension is still there. You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not coming to, to say, listen, we, we've got the silver bullet or anything like that. But I know what faith does. I know what faith does when we have that tension between, OK, why are we doing certain things the way we do? Uh, is it because of our nature? Is it because of our nurture? What faith does, it comes and it draws a line. I don't know where it draws it, but it draws it somewhere and it says, I do what I do because of conviction. I do what I do because I believe in God. Whether that's come through uh, external factors, whether it's you know, having Christian friends, listening to Christian sermons, reading, read, read, reading your scripture, etc., uh, etc., et fine, take that. Whether that comes through, you know, the way I think now that I've been transformed, the way, the way I process my feelings, the way I process my, my, my emotions, now that I've been transformed by the Holy Spirit, fine, take that. But everything I do, the line is drawn on the basis of conviction. I have faith in God. And that's what motivates. That's what fuels my decisions. That's what fuels my behavior. You no longer just do things on a whim. You no longer just do things because you feel like doing it, okay? When, when there's a decision to make, the Christian doesn't just sit down and think, how do I analyze from A to Z why I'm going to map, map this out? The, the, the Christian consults. The Christian seeks God in prayer. The Christian checks mentally that is what I'm doing, is what I'm, I'm about to set my, 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 what I'm about to do on this particular task. Is it pleasing to God? Is it something that Jesus would do? Is this something that God would approve of? It doesn't always have to be, listen, I'm, I'm, about to, I'm about to jump on the bus today. Let me fall on my knees and see if this is the right bus for me to jump on. But you have that constant God, you, you have that constant God fact in your mind, so to speak. It, you, you're always thinking through, is how I'm living? Is how I'm talking? Is where I'm going? Is what I'm doing? Is it pleasing to God? Your faith is Godward. That's what drives all of your motivation. That's what drives all of your, of your, of your, of your behavior. We know that saying, stand for something or you'll fall for anything. The Christian says, I stand for God. And anything outside of that is irrelevant. Anything outside of that, if I don't have to stand it anymore, so be it. But God, standing on God, I'm never coming off. I stand 
on the principle, I stand on the foundation, I stand on the word, I stand on God, and I'm never coming off. Faith, the Christian has faith that is God-centric, is God-focused. There's no God and, there's no God plus, there's no God with, I stand on God and God alone. He is what, my conviction in him, my trust in him is what drives everything that I do. So you show me someone that has this faith in God, that, that stands on God, and I can easily show you someone that has, uh, that has principle, that has backbone, that has non-negotiables, that has integrity, that has character. And it's clearly what the three Hebrew boys had here as well. Integrity because they stood on God. They know exactly what God wants and they're willing to take it with, him, with them even into the fiery furnace. They knew exactly what God wanted. And you contrast that, of course, with the, with the character or the lack of character that the, the prefects and all the rulers in, 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 the, in, the, in the story showed. One minute they're rulers, one minute they're the big dogs in their particular department. Next minute an image is struck up, Nebuchadnezzar says, come and worship, they're down. No character. One minute they're, they're, they're ruling, next minute they're worshipping. One, one minute they're in charge, next minute they've been told what to do. Worship a, 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 an image of gold. Why? We don't know. This egotistical man told us to do so. No character. It doesn't really matter what happens tomorrow, you're there with it. A new trend comes, you're flying towards it. People go in there, you're flocking with them. Where are your principles? Where is your faith? Where do you draw the line? Where do you say, I do what I'm doing? Yeah, I might do what the world is doing, but I do it because I know I can still do this in God. And the moment it feels like the world is taking me off of my foundation in God, I'm not going with you anymore. Even if it's something that I want to do, I have desires. I have wants, I have longings, I have achievements, I have goals. The moment they start to take me away from, from, from being God-focused, I don't want them desires anymore. It's God and God only. It's God and God only. It doesn't really matter if everyone around me deserts me. It doesn't matter if I have to be like the three Hebrew boys, standing when everybody else is bowing, staying at home when everyone else is going. I'll do it because I know I'm doing it on God. I don't care if I look silly. I don't care if I look like a weirdo. I don't care if I look outdated, if I look too serious. I'm doing it because I'm standing on God. My faith is God-focused. Now, am I, am, I, am I necessarily saying that we shouldn't have other motivations? Am I saying that, you know, it should be, you know, God and nothing else? Don't you dare say that you do anything for your family or you do anything for love? Of course, I'm not saying that. What I'm trying to say is everything you do is inside God. So, you know, I, I, I can certain, uh, sometimes I see on people's Twitter handles or Instagram handles or whatever, they might put in a little bio, you know, God first and this second, job, whatever, money, family, all that kind of stuff, kind of ranking it. I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you to go and change your Instagram handle, but... The way, I, the, way I, the way I see that, and of course, again, I'm not telling you to change your handle if you have it like that, but God is, God is not first and then everything else second, third, fourth. God is alone. God is the league table, okay? And everything else comes within that league table. Your life should be God-centric. Everything in that fits because it fits in God. If it's family, okay, you put it in there. But the moment family starts taking you away from God, family can be removed, you know? The moment your job starts taking you away from God, your, your job can be removed. That's the way we should live with faith. I live for God. God is my purpose. God is the reason. My conviction in God is the purpose for why I do everything I do and, 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 and don't do. So we understand, first thing, these boys believed in God. Their faith was God-focused. And then what comes under that? Their faith obeyed. Their faith trusted. Their faith submitted. What do I mean by that? Their faith obeyed. Now, I've just spent, what, the last five, ten minutes talking about how it's important to stand for God and it's, you know, show your principles, show that you're tough, have some backbone. 
But that's all words, isn't it, to be honest? Like, we, we, can, we can all say that. You know, the youngest ones here, I, I, I will stand for God. I will never turn my back on God. Peter was saying that, you know, he swore three times to Jesus Christ. I will, I will never deny you. A little girl comes now and, and all of a sudden he's swearing and blinding all over the place. I, I, I promise you I've never met this man. It's one thing to stand for God. It's another thing to obey God. And that's what faith is. Faith obeys. Faith is not just words. Okay, faith is not just, yeah, when the time comes, I promise you I've got, my, I've got God's back. I promise you I'll do what God wants me to do. Faith is, yes, when the time does come, what are you going to do? Are you actually going to obey? Does your faith actually obey? And it doesn't always come easy, does it? Faith is not always so straightforward. Uh, sorry, obedience is not always so straightforward. It's not always so simple. Obedience to God oftentimes can actually be the very measure of if you actually have faith in God. If, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you struggle to be obedient, if you struggle to actually obey God's commands, could it just be symptomatic of the fact that you don't actually love God's commands? Could it be symptomatic of the fact that you don't actually have faith in God in the first, first place? Real faith produces real obedience. You can't have one without the other. Faith-filled, and the reason why? Faith-filled obedience beholds the command giver in all his righteousness, his goodness, his sovereignty. When you turn your back on God's commands, you're saying that, yeah, your commands are not as good as you think they are, God. You're maybe not as righteous as you think you are. These commands that you've given, yeah, they don't really apply to my life. Maybe I should try and find some, something else. You're not trusting the lawgiver. It's not just an act of rebellion. It's not just an act of, oh, I think I'll do this instead of that. You're not trusting the one who actually gave you the commands in the first place. Faith obeys in every situation, not just when it's easy to do so, not just when it's straightforward to do so. Even when you don't understand why it seems like God would want you to do this, faith obeys. Faith obeys. Even when it comes at a disadvantage to you, you know? If I don't do, if I do this, I'm going to miss out on this particular promotion at work. If I do this, I'm going to go from 30 friends to four. I'm going to go from four friends to none. I'm going to live a lonely life. Even when it comes at a disadvantage to you, faith obeys. Faith obeys. Even when no one else will know. Sometimes, again, it's easier to obey when you're in the multitude of, when you're amongst the multitude of people. You know, if I do this and I do this well, everyone is going to kind of give me that recognition. Everyone's going to see that, yeah, I'm quite serious about my faith. What about when you're just at home and no one actually knows what you're doing? Nobody actually really cares. Will you still be obedient there? And it's often said, you know, that the mark of a, of a true man, of a true woman, is what they do in private. It's what they do when nobody sees. You know, do you have the same manners? Do you have the same character? Do you have the same love when nobody actually knows what you're doing? Do you serve in the shadows? Or you're just obedient when everyone can see, and then, yeah, you get your reward when everyone starts praising you and, and recognizing you? Can you obey when it doesn't seem so easy? Can you obey when it comes at a cost to you, a cost to your life, like obviously it did to the three Hebrew boys? They knew that the cost of their obedience was instant death, being thrown into the fiery furnace. Well, so be it. We will obey. We are not bowing down to your, to, to your, to your golden image. Whatever happens today is what, essentially what they were saying to Nebuchadnezzar. Whatever happens today, whether we go into this fiery furnace or not, just be sure of one thing. One thing is certainly going to happen. We might go into that fiery furnace and we might come out. We might go into that fiery furnace and we might not. We don't know. But one thing is happening. We are obeying God. We are not bowing down to your image. Faith obeys. Secondly, faith believes. Faith believes. Faith has a recognition of God's power and of his omnipotence. 
Faith believes that God can do everything. Faith believes that God can do everything. He is all-powerful, and so therefore can do absolutely everything and anything when he wants, how he wants, and why he wants. God is sovereign. Psalm 135 says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. Sorry, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas, and in all the, de- in all the, in all the deeps. There's no area of this creation that God cannot control. There's no, there's no area of this world that God cannot impact or change or, or alter. And the three Hebrew boys knew this. They knew that their God is in control. doesn't really matter what happens. God is still ultimately in control. God is sovereign. God is the creator of all things. Whatever suffering we might be facing, we know that God has the power to intervene. We know that God has the power to end it. We know that God has the power to redeem. He has the power to cure. And he can, and he will, and he will. And what I'm trying to say is, you know, faith is more than just wishful thinking. I don't want us to leave this room and be like, yeah, you know, as Christians, we've got to just kind of think the best. We've just got to always be optimistic. I want us to be confident. You know, if we look at these three Hebrew boys again, they said, listen, we're not bowing down to your God, uh, to your image, because God can deliver us, and he will deliver us. Where's my, where's my verse? You people think I'm making this up. He says in verse, in, in verse 17, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not, sorry, previous verse in verse 17, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. That's in, that's in direct response to Nebuchadnezzar challenging them and saying, listen, if you don't bow down, I don't know who's going to deliver you out of my hands. And they're saying, actually, we know who God is. God is powerful. He can deliver us out of your hand, actually, and he will. They actually have the confidence to say he will deliver us out of your hands. That's faith. Faith believes. Faith actually trusts. It's not just mere wishful, hopeful, optimistic thinking. It believes. It actually has concrete belief and trust in that what I'm commending myself into God's um, care for, he will actually see me through. Faith believes. Faith trusts. And where does this confidence come from? Because we know who God is. First Peter says, uh, my God is loving and caring. Psalm 34 says, he bends his ear to the cries of his people. God himself, Jesus Christ, even when he was here on earth, taught us how to pray. And he gave us that assurance. We, we've just finished going through uh, uh, the, 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 the Lord's Prayer. Giving us that confidence. Going to God uh, with confidence and assuredness. That what you pray for, you will surely receive. Asking, you shall receive. Seeking, you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Pray with confidence. Have faith when you're praying. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not pride. It's not, I'm sitting on the throne and I'm going to kind of dictate what things happen. It's praying to a God who actually cares for your needs and trusting that he will attend to your needs. That's faith. That's, that's faith. The Bible frees us up to pray very boldly and to pray very courageously. We have, we, we have the command to do so. We have the examples to do so, like we're going through in this particular passage. We know that God can actually change situations through prayer, through our faith, through trusting in him, in him he can actually change situations that looked very, very bleak and unchangeable once upon a time. So th- 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 there is a confidence that we must be, we, we, we must be, we must be praying with. Well, actually, one more thing before I move on. One more thing. Again, note, 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 note the language of the Hebrew boys. They're saying, yes, our God will deliver us out of your hand. But just before they get to that, yes, our God will deliver us. They're saying our God. There is, a, there is a, uh, an understanding of relationship. They know this God. It's our God 
that will deliver us out of, the, out of your hands. This God is ours. He is our Father. We know him. We know what he does. We know what, he, what he's done. You know, we've studied the Exodus. We've studied our forefathers in, 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 in the desert. We've seen how he's delivered in the past, and we trust and know that our God, the same God of our forefathers, will, trust, will, will deliver us. There is that relationship. I often see celebrities, particularly sports people, um, you know, do things for, 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 for charities. Like they might go to a hospital, for example, where there's lots of sick children and stuff like that, and they might give, you know, food, trainers, a jersey, all that kind of stuff, just to kind of show that, that they have that caring um, aspect. They have a lot, of course. They're, they're wealthy. They have a lot of um, um, earthly possessions, and they go and share that with people who are more vulnerable. Now, those vulnerable kids, of course, they're delighted. They didn't know where that, that provision was coming from, and it's come, and they're happy. They, they, they live to find another day, so to speak, et cetera, et cetera. But the actual children of the celebrities, do you, do you think they, 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 they kind of worry the same way that the non-children of those celebrities worry? Do you think they, they wake up and think, oh, my goodness, what, how am I going to eat today when, when, when their father earns millions per month? Do you, think that they, do you think they worry about where am I going to sleep today when the mansion that they're living in has like 15 bedrooms? Do you think they worry about protection when their security is, 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 is the best in the land? It's their father. They don't have the same concerns as the other people who are not related to, 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 to uh, said celebrity. There's that familial relationship that breeds confidence in your faith. The same thing with us. We know our God. He's our father. He owns everything. Is it a job that's got you sleep, uh, sleepless at night? He owns every single job. Is it, is, it, is, it, is, it, is it lack of finances? All of creation is in his hands. He has everything. He can give freely. It's his. What, 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 what are you so concerned about? What, what, what is making you so shy in prayer? What, what is making you so uncertain? It's his. Pray confidently. Pray boldly. Pray with faith. Faith believes. And then lastly, on this particular characteristic of faith, faith submits. Faith submits. Again, I know I've just gone on about how we should be praying confidently and praying, trusting, et cetera, et cetera. But that doesn't mean that it's always, you're always going to get what you want, unfortunately. But what it does mean is that our faith is not conditional. Our faith, is not, it, 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 our faith doesn't have contingencies. It's not, Lord, I'm going to believe in you until you do this particular thing for me. And then if not, you know, it's time to try something else. What, what, what if God doesn't heal? What if he, he never actually heals you from that particular sickness? Or he doesn't actually ever provide that job for, for months, for years? And obviously that has knock-on effects to your finances, to your confidence, etc., and that kind of stuff. What if God never actually comes through in that, in that particular sense? Do we still have faith? Again, it's easy to always trust God when there is no challenge, when there's no hardship, when there's no uh, particular pain. But what about when that pain is, is, is persistent, when there is, when, when, when there is a lot of silence? You're praying weeks, months on end, and all you're get back, getting back is, is radio silence. You're not, you're, not, you're, not, you're not hearing from God. You're not, you're not seeing God. You're seeking God, but you can't see him. You can't feel him. You're really wondering if he's actually even hearing your prayers at all. You're really wondering if he, if he actually even cares about the situation that you're in, the pain that you're experiencing. If he refuses to answer our pleas in the ways that we expect, will we still love him? Will we still obey him, like we've just said? Will we still endure with our faith until the very end? But the question we must all answer in this brief, in this brief moment of eternity is, if God does not 
provide that cure, that, that, that redemption, that way of escape that we're looking for, we will, st will we still trust him? Will we submit? Okay, will, 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 will we be like God is, God is still in control? God's will is still absolutely best. If we do do that, that's literally what fireproof faith looks like. It doesn't actually matter if God delivers us, delivers us or not. It doesn't actually matter if God provides a way of escape or not. It doesn't actually matter if this particular pain that I'm feeling lasts for the next 10, 20 years. I'll submit. I'll, 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 I'll submit. I'll submit. That's what fireproof faith is. It, it, it withstands the flame, the fiery flames and the fiery heat. Uh, it, it withstands it. It's not, it's not the kind of faith that, 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 that burns slowly. It's fireproof. It withstands it. The trials are not burning it. The, fire, the, trials are, the fiery trial is not affecting it. It withstands the heat. My God will deliver me, but if not, I will still trust him. I will submit. The Lord is strong enough to rescue me if he chooses, but if not, I'm not going to give in to my sin. I'm not going to give in to a, a, a cheating uh, a sub, a, a sub, a substandard way of doing things. I must stay on the path of doing what is right until God decides to do whatever is pleasing unto Him. My God is able to heal me if He decides it best. But if not, I will never forsake the confession of my faith in Him. I'm going to trust all the way through this present hardship, not just when the hardship finishes. Not just when I can all of a sudden make sense of the present hardship. I'm going to trust him all the way through it. When the hardship is turned up, like Nebuchadnezzar turned the fiery furnace up seven times, when the hardship is turned up, I will still be trusting him. When it doesn't even make sense, why should we be bowing down to this particular, to, to, to this particular image? Where did this idea come from? Why have I now got to be put in this position where all of a sudden I'm in the minority? Even when it doesn't make sense, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to submit and trust God. And of course, unanswered prayers hurt. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to belittle that. I'm not trying to say, listen, you know, forget that. They hurt. You know, we, 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 we refuse something that we want. We refuse something that we, 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 we want. They hurt. They hurt because we are refused what we want, but not because of what is best. What happens in God's control is always best. And faith is what allows you to see that. Faith is what allows you to submit to that. Does your faith believe that? So you, you, you take those experiences of unanswered hurt, of unanswered pain, uh, prayers, you take those experiences of pain, of heartbreak, you take those experiences of, of church hurt, even our own people disappointing us, and you take that and you say, Lord, as long as this persistent uh, trial will last for, teach me to trust you. Teach me to endure this with you. Pray for God's help with your unbelief when you feel like your faith is withering, when you feel like the fiery trials are actually getting to your faith, and you can't actually quite comprehend why God will actually let you go through this, pray that God would strengthen that belief that, he, that, he, that you have in him. Sing with the hymn writers, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It doesn't matter what happens in my life, it is well. God will still look after me. Contend with the scriptures that says, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. That's not talking about doing gymnastics and all that kind of stuff. It's talking about just how we endure in this Christian life. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can learn to forgive. I can learn to press on. I can learn to, 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 to continue with this pain that I have while still trusting in Jesus Christ. I can do all things. All things. 
through Christ who strengthens me. Press on with that in your mind. Pray for deliverance. Pray for this cup to pass over you. Pray for provision. Pray for mercy and help. Cry out to him. Be honest. Pour out your heart to him. Let him know your weakness. Let him know how desperately you need him. But in faith, always pray, your will, not my will, be done. That's faith. And that's how faith submits. It's confident. Faith, faith, faith prays confidently. Faith prays with assuredness. But it knows that God's will is always best. I may not know what's best for me, but God always does. And I'll trust him. So that's what we learn of faith. So how can I continue to encourage us? Uh, what, 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 again, what can we see from the passage that encourages us to continue standing even though we are in the present trial? Even though whilst we are in a particular flame, so like the three Hebrew boys were standing in the flames, how can we also stand in the flames metaf- metaphorically? The, 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 the three Hebrew boys, put this in your mind, they went, to, they went through the fire, hypothetically speaking. They went through the fire, not to it. They didn't go to the fire to stay in the fire. They went through the fire. They went in one way, figuratively speaking, and they came out the other way. They came out of the flames. What am I trying to say? The, the present struggle, the present trial, the present fiery furnace that you're in now, it, 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 has, an, it has an end date. Okay, the, the, the tunnel that you're in, there will, there, will, there, will, there will be light at the end of the tunnel. I assure you of it. Okay, there will be an ending. The present situation is only but for a while. This soon, whatever the situation might be, it soon will also be passed. It will also be something that you're talking about that happened to you. It will be something that time has moved you, distanced you from. I can't promise you when. I, I, can't, give, I can't give you a date, of course. I, I can never do that. No one can. But I, I can promise you that it will. It will end. You will, come out, you will come out of that particular fiery trial. Why, 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 do, I have this, why do I have this confidence? I'm not, I'm not saying it just to be a, a hopeless optimist. But the Bible gives us that, that, that very confidence. There is a time and season for everything. There is a time for mourning and there is a time for rejoicing. There are seasons. There is a time for suffering and there is a time for enjoyment. There is a time for brokenness and there is a time for repairing. That's how God has ordained things. There are seasons. Just like we're told to never just kind of get too confident in our, in, our, in, our, in, our, in our highs, never get too broken in your lows. There is a time to come out of it. There is a time to come out. Bear patiently under the weight of affliction. Stand confidently in the fiery trial until God delivers. I don't know when, how long the night will last, but joy will come in the morning. There will be hope. There will be hope. And even whilst you're still present in the flame, Know what God can do with flames. Remind yourself what, what, what God can do with fiery trials. We don't go into fiery trials the same way the world does. And again, looking back at the story, figuratively speaking, when, when, when the flames were turned up, the very same flames that the Hebrew boys were just standing in are those very same flames that killed the, the, the strongmen that threw them in there in the first place. Like I said at the beginning, the world, we're not the only ones. There's nothing honorable about suffering. If, 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 if we could end suffering today, let's do it. We're not suffering just because we want to suffer. It doesn't make us Christian to suffer. We don't want to suffer. But we will suffer. The world, everyone in the world suffers. How, what, what, the experiences that we get now once we're suffering is different. Christians don't suffer like the world. Unbelievers go through suffering. Sometimes they make it through, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're really broken. Sometimes they're really devastated. Sometimes it kills them, like it killed these strong, strong men. But the same flames for these Hebrew boys, it, it actually loosed them. They went into the flame bound. The strong men had tied them up. They, they, when Nebuchadnezzar saw them, they were free. They were walking. How come? 
God can use the flames for your very own good. God can use the flames that you're going through, the very fiery furnace that you're going through, to actually set you free, to give you growth, to give you maturity, like I was saying at the beginning. Sometimes it's actually better for us. We might not see it. We might not see it. But sometimes it's actually better for us to go through the fiery trial so that we can grow, so that we can be matured. That's how God designs it. And God can do that. Don't, 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 don't waste the, the potential lessons that are in your trial. Don't waste the potential growth that exists in your trial by a lack of faith. Trust that God can do all things for my good. He can, he can use any, any situation. We just finished the story of, of, of Joseph. He can use brothers trying to kill me, trying to put me into prison, selling me into a foreign land, me being thrown into prison again. And he can use all of that evil to turn it around I mean it for good. God can do whatever he wants. And in this particular suffering that I'm going through, God can use it for my growth. I might not be able to see it. I might not be able to map it out. I might not be able to design it. I can't retell the story. But I just trust that God can work all things together for my good. When Nebuchadnezzar sees them, again, how can we, stand with, how, how can we continue to um, ensure that we're standing in our trials? When Nebuchadnezzar sees them in the fiery trial, he sees them walking. He doesn't see them panicking. He doesn't see them pacing around nervously. He sees them walking, pretty much just going about, almost like they're going about their daily lives. In the original language, apparently, there is actual joy in how they're, it's almost like having a party. They're having conversations. They're just enjoying each other's company. In, in the flames, they haven't come out yet. In the very flames, they still have joy. And people might look at you and be like, listen, I've seen the fall that you had. And I've seen the suffering that you're going through. And I've seen what you've had to endure. That's pain I wouldn't wish on my enemy. You're going through heartbreak and, 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 and misery that nobody should be going through. And they ask you how, like, why are you still standing? How are you still so, so, so sane? How are you still so normal? And you tell them, I have a joy within me that the world can never take away. I have a joy within me that the world can never take. The world didn't give me this joy, so it can't take it back. The world didn't give me this joy, so it can't burn it up. This joy is mine and it belongs to me from God. And until God moves out of the picture, then I will remain joyful. Until I draw my last breath, I will always have praise for my maker. I will always have something to do for my God. Even when it feels like everything around me is crumbling. Even when it feels like all of my plans have have, have crumbled. Even when it feels like everything is just going wrong, I will praise my maker as long as I have breath. He's the one that's given me that joy. I'll take it to my grave. I'll take it to my grave. So they were standing with joy. And then lastly, what else does Nebuchadnezzar see when, when he sees them in the fiery furnace? They're walking around, they have joy, but he sees a fourth person. Now, there's a lot of debate about if it's an angel, if it's a pre-incarnation of Christ, etc., etc. Rest assured that this, rest, be rest assured of this, it was God standing in the flames with them. And so how can we be, be, be encouraged? How can we be assured when we're going through our own fiery trials? God is standing with you in the very present moment that you are standing. Don't miss that. God stands with you. Lo, I am with you always. I want to end with a, with a, a pretty lengthy uh, um, quote, so, so please do bear with me. Do you see him sympathizing with you? Do you see him suffer for you? All else, as all else fails, is he enough for you? Do you believe his promise that soon you will suffer no more? Do you see him with you? Do you know the depths of his love for you? Do you know that he is strengthening you even in this, even now? Are his scarred hands holding yours as he whispers of glory to come? Or has the deceiver stolen your courage from you? Has he been sowing doubt in your hearts? 
Are you on the brink of dying? Not because of the flames touching your body, but because they have begun to singe your faith. Has hope deferred or made your heart sick? Do not grow weary of doing good. Do not give up the fight of faith. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself so that, as, so that you may not grow weary. You may not be delivered from this furnace, but you will rise from it to a place where agony cannot follow you. In the grace that God supplies, stand and say, my God is able to deliver me from this nightmare if he chooses. But if not, I will bless his holy name and wait to see his face in glory. Amen.